Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today will be study number 12 of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah 50, verses 17 through 20. It says in verse 17, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Therefore, thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon in his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve." In our last Bible study in Jeremiah 50, we saw that um, the king of Assyria and the king of Babylon both typify Satan. And as God says, Israel is a scattered sheep and the lions, the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, have driven him away. That that language was indicating that um, the destruction of the churches uh, when judgment began at the house of God and, and when Christ loosed Satan to enter into the congregations to rule completely over all churches, that this resulted in the driving out of the true believers. And they became like scattered sheep um, that went into the nations of the world This was all done according to the plan of God. It was his will. It was according to his purpose that Satan was loosed to bring destruction to the church, which did result in the scattering of the believers outside of the churches. And yet, God, at at the conclusion of using Satan as an instrument of his wrath, at, at, at the end of the Great Tribulation, the end of that period of time in which the churches were to be punished, God then turns to Satan himself. And and now Satan must give account and answer for the things that he did, as well as his emissaries. And, and this is what Babylon and the king of Babylon picture. They picture... Satan and his forces coming against the uh, the outward representation of God's kingdom on earth, the New Testament churches and congregations. And that's why in verse 18 of Jeremiah 50, God says, Therefore, thus saith Jehovah of hosts, that is because these kings of Assyria and Babylon have driven away Israel and 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 devoured him and uh, at last the king of Babylon has broken his bones they've done this against God's people yes according to the will of God now let, let let's think about that for a second what does that mean it just means that God loosed Satan and then Satan went about doing What comes naturally to Satan, which is to destroy, to bring falsehood and, and, uh, and all manner of deceitfulness. And so Satan also goes after the church. That has been his primary target throughout history, God and his people. And, and so God loosed him knowing Satan would do as he's always done, and yet at this time God gave him greater allowance, greater uh, permission. Not that God is 
telling him explicitly, now here is how uh, you you destroy the church through the tongues movement. No, Satan just uh, in in his uh, wickedness is very eager to do all that, and, and God doesn't get involved in those sins. It's just the loosing of him knowing that the things that he will do. And, and so following the period of time that God had allotted to Satan for him to accomplish these things, then God holds Satan accountable for all the, the evil deeds and sins and wickedness that he performed as well as those with him. And that's why God says in, in verse 18, Therefore thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. And now uh, this is the pronouncement, the decree from God, the king of Babylon must be punished. Let's let's turn to Isaiah 14 because we we just um, mention a lot that that the king of Babylon typifies Satan and every now and then it's good for us to prove it from the Bible, especially if there are new listeners, people who haven't heard previously the uh, biblical proof or the biblical definition. Uh, God, when when he sets up a type and a figure, and the king of Babylon was a true historical uh, person and persons, yet... Uh, God uses that man in that position as a type and figure of Satan. And he then defines the spiritual type in Isaiah 14, where it says in verse 4, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how hast the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. All right, so... God is saying this is a proverb, and a proverb is a parable, and and take this up against the king of Babylon. Now, it continues to uh, progress from there, and then in verse 12, we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And what happened is God said, this is a proverb against the king of Babylon, and then he transitions into talking about Satan, Satan who comes against the churches at the time of the end and takes his seat in the temple as the man of sin. Isaiah 14 is uh, really paralleling or giving parallel information to what we read in Second Thessalonians 2. Beginning in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The man of sin is Satan. And, and we've shown that repeatedly. And notice how the language of 2 Thessalonians 2 matches and is in agreement with Isaiah 14. Satan is the man of sin. Satan is typified by the king of Babylon. And Satan's kingdom of darkness is typified by Babylon itself. So when God speaks of punishing the king of Babylon, the spiritual meaning of that would be 
it it is expressing God's intent to punish Satan. Well, when when is God going to punish Satan? Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 25. We looked at this a little bit last week. In Jeremiah 25, I'll first read verses 9 through 11. And it says in Jeremiah 25, verse 9, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith Jehovah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. All right, first we see that God is the one who is raising up the families of the north, and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, whom he calls my servant. And again, this is picturing the loosing of Satan at the time of the end, the end of the church age, the time when God begins judgment on the congregations, and he looses Satan, and Satan acts as the servant of God, accomplishing God's purpose in bringing um, spiritual destruction to the churches and congregations of the world. As King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, brought physical destruction to the land of Judah and accomplished God's purpose in doing so because Judah had become unfaithful and very rebellious. And uh, this will occur, God says, these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, this historical 70-year period that that God began judging his own people, Judah, uh, took place initially in 609 B.C. At first, it was um, the Babylonians weren't in view. It was the Egyptians. When when good King Josiah died in 609 B.C. against the Egyptians, that is when the 70-year period started. And it would continue until 539 B.C. when the Medes and the Persians would conquer Babylon and and then there was um, a decree by Cyrus uh, to allow the Jews to return home. And this is the 70 years God is referring to, uh, a judgment on his people Judah, and that 70 years represents the great tribulation period, the judgment on the churches. God uses several different time periods to represent the Great Tribulation. In uh, the days of Joseph, the seven-year famine typified the Great Tribulation. In the days of Samuel, in 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistines for seven months. That seven-month period represents the Great Tribulation. And there is the 70 years that are mentioned several times in the Old Testament. For instance, in Zechariah chapter 1, it says in verse 12, Then the angel of Jehovah answered and said, O Jehovah of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these Three score and ten years. Actually, um, that should be those three score and ten years, as the Hebrew word there can be translated uh, also as those, and is translated that way in Zechariah chapter 7, in verse 5, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, 
when ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? And that's referring to the same period of time, to the the time when uh, uh, God's wrath was upon Judah from 609 B.C. until 539 B.C. It is the 70-year period that we find mentioned here um, with spiritual language in Isaiah 23. It says in verse 15, And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years. Tyre would be a figure of the church. According to the days of one king, after the end of 70 years, shall Tyre sing as a harlot. Take a harp, go about the city, thou harlot that has been forgotten. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that thou mayest be remembered. And it shall come to pass after the end of 70 years that Jehovah will visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her hire and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. And it's some uh, very interesting language God is using. It's speaking of that 70-year period. In the 70-year period, again, we we uh, need to be aware of this, is a picture of the Great Tribulation period. And in Isaiah 23, God is using language that um, that is speaking of a period after the 70 years when Tyre then commits fornication with all the nations. And I, I believe um, the language in Isaiah 23 is difficult, but it could be pointing to the church who is still in existence after the judgment had time that, that God had ordained a period of 23 actual years from May 21, 1988 to May 21, 2011. That time has elapsed, and yet the church is still operating, still in the world, and yet committing fornication with all the nations of the world, we could say spiritual fornication. Well, uh, there's, there's other references, but the 70 years that God raises up the king of Babylon and brings him against his own people, views the king of Babylon as his servant, is picturing the triumphant, victorious conquest of the church by Satan according to the will of God. As God loosed him to accomplish that purpose of bringing that spiritual destruction to the churches and making them a desolate land, spiritually speaking. And this is a glorious time for Satan. He he is winning. And the people of the world think that um, he, he is overcoming. His deadly wound uh, in their eyes was healed. He has been loosed. He, he is stronger than ever. And yet, God's plan is to punish him after he completes the task of uh, judging the churches or being an instrument of God's judgment upon the churches. In verse 12 of Jeremiah 25, it says, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished. Now, right there, we should be thinking it will come to pass when the great tribulation concludes when the 23-year period of Great Tribulation comes to an end. And it did May 21, 2011. That is is what we should be thinking according to the biblical calendar of history as that calendar fits so well and, and harmonizes so perfectly together with God's um, timetable for feasts and 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 the the way the end of the church age comes the day before pentecost in 1988 and then 2300 evening mornings transpires and and concludes on September 7th in 1994 the first day of the hebrew seventh month which 
would signal a jubilee and a jubilee year and 1994 happened to be a jubilee year and then the outpouring of the latter rain and and then uh an exact 8400 days later concluding on May 21 2011 uh which had the underlying Hebrew calendar date of 217 matching the very day the flood in the days of Noah began in the day God shut them in by shutting the door of the ark. And and now 1,600 days from that point, falling on October 7th in 2015, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the last day of the Feast of Ingathering, the last day of Harvest, it, it all is very precise, very exact. And, and so we can understand Yes, the Great Tribulation did end. Now, of course, there are going to be people who deny that. They realize that if the Great Tribulation ended, then the language of the Bible would would indicate and prove that, yes, indeed, there is no salvation. Because immediately after the Tribulation, the sun is darkened and the moon does not give its light. And, and then all the many verses in the Bible just just join together and with um, an incredibly strong emphasis that God has finished his salvation program and these people can't have that 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 uh, they they don't like that idea they won't have that idea they will not accept it why won't they accept it well is it because they they just love people more than than the child of God who does accept these things? No. No, that, that, that's not why. That's not why at all. Whenever the Bible declares something, and and people fight against what the Bible is declaring, one thing is absolutely certain, that love is not in view. There is no love in going contrary to the will of God. There is no love and going contrary to the commandment of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, is it possible that they're going contrary to the commandment of God, but it's out of love for their neighbor? So uh, that that is contradictory in itself. How can they say they love their neighbor, and yet they're not exhibiting or showing love for God, which is keeping his commandments? It, it It is not love at all that would lead people to to say that uh, to deny the word of God, the the teaching of the Bible. Well, why would they? why Why are they so upset? Well, uh, we we could say one part is just the natural mind of man, the the proud nature of men, and men latch on to certain teachings and and this has always been the case that um, no matter what that teaching is, the, it, it could be the doctrine of hell. Some people furiously held on to that, and and oh, you're a heretic now if you you dare to make corrections of the doctrine of hell, or or Christ paying for sins from the foundation of the world, as opposed to the cross. All the uh, others were extremely angry about that and and went away um in a huff that that you are saying that that Christ did not pay for sin at the cross when it's so obvious and so clear and they they close their ears to what the bible has to say about the payment being made from from the foundation of the world and of course the church age when when God opened up information about the end of the church age and people were so um, attached to their churches, they would not budge. They wouldn't listen to God. And and so, no, it's it's not uh, love that, that causes men and women to stubbornly hold on to a doctrine. It, it normally is something related to pride. That they know something. They know 
what the Bible teaches about hell. They know what happened at the cross. Come on, you tell me I don't know that most basic of things? They know the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The simple, direct statements of the Bible, and you're coming along, and you're saying something different. You're saying something that that uh, that individual does not know, and they resist it, and it it is a matter of pride with them, principle that certainly I know these things; these are plain things, and yet they don't know. They don't know. They think they know, but they have failed the test. God is the one who knows. It's His book. It's His Bible, and. He's the one uh, who hid truth until the time of the end as a means of testing uh, those who profess to be his people. And God proves the truth through the methodology he has established in the Bible itself. You must compare scripture with scripture, making sure your conclusions harmonize with everything else the Bible says, and then you can have confidence you are finding truth. And and so the Lord opened up information about hell, and he taught us what it means to be cut off, and he taught us about Deuteronomy 25, where um, a judge establishes is under a limit, where he he cannot apply more than 40 stripes. And, and God has taught us that he's under that law, so there cannot be a place of unlimited punishment. That goes contrary to the law of God. And God is the one who has revealed the statements that Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He states it as a matter of fact. God is the one who uh, has has opened up just so much information about the end of the church age, and yet it's all denied. Oh, no, 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 that can't be. And now God is the one who has opened up information that salvation has come to a close. It is judgment day. And what's the problem? Well, I see this verse over here, the day of salvation Behold, now is the accepted time. See, it uses the word now, now, and and so many other verses. God is talking about mercy over here, grace over there. He's uh, he's uh, it, the Bible's dripping with language of salvation, uh, and you're telling me there's no salvation. I'll never believe it. I'll I'll never. Except that there is no possibility that can be. And yet, they are doing the exact same thing that others have done with information on the end of the church age. Yes, there's certain scriptures that that appear to indicate God would not judge the church. And, and, and so forth. Actually, here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem with uh, with all this information that's in the Bible about salvation, and and uh, uh, people just find a verse and post it, and they think, look, look at this verse. It proves salvation. It says it uh, right there that, that God is merciful or whatever. And, and then you answer them and say, well, you see, that had application to its own period of time that the Bible calls the day of salvation. It no longer has application once we entered into judgment day, the day of judgment. And it would be like, for instance, if I went into the Bible and I posted or or I said, now, now here's a verse where God commands to offer a sacrifice. Can I find a verse like that? Yes. Can I find dozens of verses like that? Probably hundreds. And and God says, offer a sacrifice. And here he goes into detail on how it's to be offered. And, and over here, uh, more information 
on when it's to be offered, and the Bible is dripping with information about offering sacrifices. Yes, but but some some kind person comes to me and says, I understand you're you're reading that in the Bible, and yes, it does command to do this, but what you're not seeing is that there was a certain period of time when those scriptures had effect. You see, there was the Old Testament, and and God uh, commanded these sacrifices in order to point to the coming Messiah, when Jesus Christ would be born in the world, and he would be as the Lamb of God, going to the cross to demonstrate in a living tableau what he had already done from the foundation of the world. And 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 the person would answer and say, yes, but what about this this verse over here? And they post another verse about animal sacrifice. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And then you calmly try to explain again. Well, you see, that had its application. It, it had a time when it was in force, but God ended that period of time, and those scriptures no longer have effect, although their spiritual meaning pointing to the Messiah has an eternal significance, yet the actual carrying them out or obedience to them is no longer necessary. As a matter of fact, it would go contrary to the will of God, and you would be committing a disobedient act if you were to offer a sacrifice. Yes, the person says, and but what about this verse? And I can, and here's a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And, and he goes on and on. And well, at some point you just have to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're just not getting it. You're, you're not seeing it. You, you don't realize that there are times and seasons and you cannot insist and demand upon God that when he makes a statement that has application to a certain time and to a certain season, that it must be today and now. And and you see, that's what Israel of old didn't understand. They, to this day, think they are the holy people of God because they fail to realize their time and their season was up. It's what the New Testament church today fails to understand. They had a certain time and season of the church age that ended in 1988. Their time and season has expired. And yet they won't accept that. Oh no. Oh, oh no. And, and they'll point to verses that, that they think proves that, that God is still with them and 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 there are verses they can go to, qualifications for deacons and elders and and the Lord's table and baptizing and things like that. Yeah, but they had their application in their time and season. And now people are doing exactly the same thing, making exactly the same error by um, going over here and finding a verse that deals with grace or mercy or salvation. If the Son of Man sets you free, ye shall be free indeed, it says in the Gospel of John. Yes, what a, a beautiful, glorious, wonderful truth. But does that truth apply today in the day of judgment? Can you say to someone who is uh, who is in their sin, can you encourage them? Go to Christ if you're a spiritual captive, if you're in the dungeon of your sin and he'll set you free. No, you cannot say that today. It has lost that application because that application only applied during the day of salvation. Now, we we can say, Thank God that he has set all of his captives free, that he has 
set all of the elect free whose names were recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it may be that Christ has set you free before May 21, 2011, when that was still a possibility, but not now, not now at all. And, and, and then the person hears that, they, they, uh, process that, and they go to another verse that, that, uh, says basically the same thing. Jesus will save. Jesus is the Savior. And, and, you see, they didn't get it. They're missing it. They, they, they're not seeing what God has done. And, and, you know, sorrowfully, um, God says the wise will understand, but none of the wicked will understand. And, and he says a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. And those in the churches did not discern the time, uh, and, and they would have nothing to do with it. And yet there were some that discerned the time. And, and they got involved and they joined together with God's people, proclaiming the time, May 21, 2011, Judgment Day. But God says there must be a discernment from a wise man of both time and judgment. So you discern the time, but if you fail to discern the judgment, the spiritual judgment that God brought on May 21, 2011, well then, eventually, and and we've been seeing this time and again, over the course of this period, known as Judgment Day, a prolonged period of time, very likely that will be 1,600 days in duration, over the course of these days, after that tribulation, individuals are losing sight even of the time. Oh, I don't believe May 21, 2011 was Judgment Day any longer. So did they really have genuine discernment of the time before? They they had an intellectual understanding, perhaps. They joined up for whatever reason, but they didn't have that true discernment. And yet the child of God did, because God gave him understanding that's what Jesus said in Matthew 13, that it is given unto you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To them, it's not given. And that's why the true believers following that day were in a, a, a state of confusion and, and they, they just couldn't understand because they knew the day. They, they were positive. And they heard Christ's voice. My sheep hear my voice. They hear not the voice of a stranger. And and so that left them open to learning more information about the nature of the judgment. And then slowly, as time continues, as we we go further and further into this period of judgment on the world, they... They come to a better and better understanding, and then it, they discern both time and judgment, and everything clicks. Everything falls into place concerning the judgment that when it began on May 21, 2011, and what's happening now. Well, um, from Jeremiah 25, verse 12, getting back to that, God says, I will punish the king of Babylon. And uh, that is, when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith Jehovah, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans will make it perpetual desolations and I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. So God will punish the king of Babylon and punish the land, Babylon, which represents the world, the the kingdom of Satan, and the church would be included in that, 
after the 70-year period. Now, um, let's go to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. And there God speaks of punishing the world in verses 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, Jehovah cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. And we've gone over uh, these verses before and uh, we've seen where God uh, says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee, that that is referring to uh, what took place on the date of May 21 in 2011 when God safely brought all of his elect into the kingdom of God through salvation, even though they may have lived and, and do live still upon the earth, they are in the safe chambers, spiritually speaking, of the kingdom of heaven. And, and, uh, the doors are shut as God, um, speaks of door singular, indicating the door of heaven, yet his people ministered as messengers of God and witnessed, uh, which opened up doorways, we could say, at wherever they went, the doors are shut in, uh, in this time that God is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Now, verse, notice the next chapter, Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day, Jehovah, and then it continues. Now, this must be a continuation of the previous chapter, or else it makes no sense. In what day? It, it, it's referring to the day God is coming out of his place to punish the world. In that day, Isaiah 27, 1, Jehovah it says, In that day, Jehovah with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan. Leviathan is a another figure used to represent Satan. Shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. And one of the names of Satan is serpent. How did he come to Eve in, in the garden? Uh, the Garden of Eden, as a, a serpent. In uh, Revelation 20, it says in verse 2, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So, uh, Satan has several names. He can be, he can be Satan, he can be uh, the beast, or he can be the dragon, or the serpent. And here, in that day when God is punishing the inhabitants of the world, in the day when God's people are into their safe chamber and their doors are shut about them, at, at that time, God says, um, with a great and strong sword, which would refer to the word of God, that he will punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And that, that sounds like uh, something you read in in um, a, a golden book, where where there's a fire-breathing dragon, and and some brave knight is slaying the dragon. Well, that comes right from the Bible. It comes from the Word of God. The, the dragon slayer is God himself. The dragon is Satan. And he will be punished, God says, in that day, judgment day. And uh, at the end of the 70-year period, and the 70-year the period typifies the Great Tribulation. And again, the Great Tribulation concluded... May 21, 2011. There's no other timeline for the Great Tribulation. Nothing else fits. Nothing else matches perfectly 
with the biblical calendar of history and the dates that are established therein. People say it continues. People say a lot of things, but they cannot prove it. Not from the Bible they cannot prove it. Well, uh, let's go back to um, Jeremiah 50, and we're going to move on to verse 19. Jeremiah 50, verse 19 says, And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. Isn't it amazing that that God here is speaking of punishing the king of Babylon, which relates to Judgment Day. Isaiah 26, 20, 21, and Chapter 27, verse 1, prove that's when um, he is punished. And and also uh, the the, the uh, references at the end of the 70 years prove that he's punished immediately after the Great Tribulation. So Satan is punished. The world is punished. The beginning of its judgment has come, which is punishment upon them on uh, that date of May 21, 2011. And and how does God follow that up here in Jeremiah 50? That he will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. That is, I will punish Satan on judgment day for destroying my house, the house of God. So the great tribulation is complete. The judgment upon the church has now ended. And God will punish Satan for for doing so, and his land, as it says in Jeremiah 25. And then he turns his attention to the true believers. And what does he say? And, uh, that's a conjunction. That means along with this, this is, um, uh, this is happening as God is speaking of punishing the king of Babylon, and, and I will bring Israel again to his habitation. You know, the, the Hebrew word translated as habitation, um, is Strong's number 5116. It's also translated as dwelling and, and also as sheep coat and as fold. For instance, in Isaiah 65, in Isaiah 65 verses 9 and 10, it says, and I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there, and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks. That's the word habitation, fold, and the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. And Ezekiel 34, it's also translated twice as fold. It says, um, I'll start reading in, in verse 11. For thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be, or their habitation. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord Jehovah. And and so God, in Jeremiah 50, has in view the feeding of sheep. And uh, remember, back in verse 17 of Jeremiah 50, Israel is a scattered sheep. And then he speaks of the two kings, the king of Assyria and the king of Babylon, that have scattered them. And and then he mentions the judgment upon the king of Babylon for scattering the sheep. That's one of the reasons. 
And then in verse 19, I will bring Israel again to his fold, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. And isn't it something, uh, I would say amazing, but it's in keeping with how God writes the Bible. He ties things in. The, the great catch of fish in John 21, which typifies that great multitude, is brought to Christ upon the land. There they are. There's the whole great multitude. And then Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Feed my sheep. So the great multitude comes out of great tribulation, indicating since the great catch of fish is that picturing that great multitude, that the great tribulation has ended and they're coming out of it. And now feed my sheep. I will punish the king of Babylon. That is, I will judge Satan on judgment day as I judge the inhabitants of the earth. Very well. I, at the same time, God says, I will bring Israel again to his fold and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. Again, in the context of the, the judgment, judgment day itself, God speaks of feeding sheep. And that's because it is his plan for this time. No matter how disdained that idea is in the eyes of some, it is according to the will of God. You know, the word carmel, where it says here, um, he shall feed on carmel. Carmel is a word that um, is translated as fruitful field also, or place, a fruitful place. And, and it's also translated as plentiful or plentiful field. So God is saying he will bring his people, his sheep, to a plentiful field, a fruitful field, where he will feed them. And we'll just go to one last verse in Micah, where Carmel uh, is found in Micah chapter 7, in verse 14. And 15, feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Why does he link it together to the, the days of the coming out of Egypt? Because of the great deliverance that took place at the end of the Great Tribulation when that great multitude was saved and God has brought them spiritually. No one has been physically moved anywhere, but spiritually he has brought them to Carmel, to a fruitful field where he will feed them during these days after that tribulation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.